hello and welcome back to the F1 Funcast, Formula One's most interactive podcast, this side of the Mississippi or the Atlantic or the Pacific or wherever you are, we're on that side of it. So thank you for joining me here today. This is the F1 Funcast. My name is James. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Instagram. Did I say Instagram? Instagram, Twitter, uh, Gmail, at F1 Funcast across all of those. Thank you. Thank you for coming in, checking this out today. We've got something really exciting happening. I've got my first guest here on the podcast today. We call him the crew chief around here because of all his intimate knowledge about Formula One and all things motorsport. So uh, we're going to have my, my cousin Connor, the crew chief, coming on here in a little bit to talk to us about his Formula One fandom, where he comes from, his background, and a little bit of his expertise and opinion going forward. So that's something to look forward to for sure. And uh, very excited, very excited to keep growing this community, growing our uh, listeners. I want to reach out to you. Remember, if you reach out to us, we're going to shout you out on the podcast. We're going to give you a chance to have your voice heard. That's very important to us here on the podcast is if you want to have your voice heard and you feel like you haven't been heard in the Formula One world, well, this is the place for you. So welcome aboard. We're going to get this party started in just a minute. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our first ever guest. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the sprint race format that's changing here in the future and um, a little bit about, you know, the, the things this is the this is a get me over podcast, as they say. We've got to get to we've got to get to Baku. We're under two weeks away now, about 12 days from the Grand Prix, 10 days from practice. So we're getting there. I know we're all anxious. We're all looking forward to the to the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and seeing what car upgrades are coming coming along and seeing um, seeing if we can close that gap up to Red Bull. If your favorite team out there is going to close the gap, let me know. Let me know what you expect in Baku and how you feel about the the new sprint race weekend format. So yeah, let's, uh, let's just get that out of the way and give the crew chief a call here and get him on board with us. You know, let, let, let's give him a call. Let's start this party up. And I guess we're in there. So so yeah, um, Connor, welcome welcome on here to the... Uh, to the F1 Funcast, and um, just glad to have you on here. And why don't we why don't we start with why don't you let me know what got you into Formula One in the first place? I know you're a big motor sport fan, but what is it about Formula One that that got your attention? Well, uh, I just want to start by saying that uh, you know, thanks for having me on here. It's 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 cool that you're doing this podcast, and I've been listening to all the episodes and listens to the progress and I'm glad this, that you're getting some great feedback. Hmm. Um, so I started getting into formula one. Let's see. I, I think it was like 2004, 2005 timeframe, uh, back when Michael Schumacher was at like the peak of his powers towards the end of his run of seven championships. Um, he had two with Benetton and then five with Ferrari ending so, in 2004 um so would you say so, he was kind of the the drawing factor his his dominance or was it just he was there um, when you... i'm not really sure to be honest i mean i think i started watching it with my dad and i think we just kind of like picked it up to watch one weekend and decided to watch one of the races and um i got into it a little bit i liked it 
enough because I was, you know, I watched NASCAR all the time as a kid. And mm. so I was always watching some kind of racing. And then it was around when I was in like high school, I would say, is when I really started getting deeper into it. And I started looking at the history of the sport and all the technical stuff that goes along with it. I mean, I poured over technical update after technical update as they uploaded them onto their website. I mean, they used to have really cool drawings by, I think it was Giorgio Paola. I'd probably butchered that name. <laughs> um, but he he does really, really excellent uh, technical drawings. And I was just fascinated by the creativity of the engineers and the designers and everything that really goes into picking up just those few tenths of a second around a lap is amazing. So you were and, you were really looking at design of the car. This is before, you know, YouTube videos and stuff like that. You were looking at technical drawings and, you know, more in-depth than just watching a five-minute YouTube video. Yeah, I mean, there is, you know, there's a fair share of YouTube searches going on at that point, too, as well as I was getting sure. more and more into it. Um but, you know, I used to sit there in class in high school with my headphones on watching the the pole laps from huh. each weekend throughout the season and race highlights and technical analysis. Um, yeah, sorry, Mom. I spent more time <laughs> doing that in theology than I probably should have. I was going to um, say, we're not editing that out. We're keeping that in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was all done in my theology class. So I guess you could say motorsports and Formula One became my religion. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. That's pretty funny. So so then I guess I'll ask you what I was wondering was like, what was that first memory that really sticks out like a a race that you watched or something that really hooked you in there? And, um, you know, was there a particular Grand Prix that you remember really, uh, really catching you back then and in that time? Or was there a driver or... um, you know, just what what what's your first memory, I guess, of like a big Grand Prix weekend? Um, I remember, I think it was Indianapolis in 2005 when they had, I think, like six cars start the oh, race. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All the all the cars that were running Michelins withdrew uh, on the formation lap. Uh, right, I've was, been reading they, about that. They were yeah. having tr- they were having trouble with the sidewalls coming up onto the like going through the bankings from the infield onto what is Indianapolis turn one. Um, and then onto the front stretch where the sidewalls were just not able to handle the kind of pressures and forces that were, they, they just, they weren't designed for running on a banking like that. Um, right. and all the lateral forces. And I think it was either Ralph's, I think it was Ralph Schumacher that had a really, really nasty accident. I think the year before, um, again, I could be getting that wrong. I have to look at it again, but I think right. there was a lot of safety concerns around well, it. Well, from what I've heard about that, I guess they talked about liability. Like if those teams ran on those tires, they could be held liable yeah. if someone was if someone was injured during that race. Yeah, State exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because, because, you know, they were accepting that risk factor. Right. right. And we're going to do a whole episode on this one uh, for sure. But oh, it's awesome. It's crazy that. um, Yeah. I mean, I've watched that the start of that race several times and just seeing six cars out there. It's like, 
you know, and I saw there's a bunch of people who got like their first ever career points or their first points for their country. And it's like, well, yeah, everybody gets a point when you're running six cars. But yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the, the, the only lead cars were the, the two Ferraris. And I mean, obviously, they're just kind of right away with it. But um, <laughs> I, I think that the other one that really sticks out to me was the 2008 season finale in Brazil. What about um, that? What happened there? So there's a title title fight going the entire season between Felipe Massa and, of Ferrari and Lewis Hamilton, who is in his second year. He lost the championship the year before by one point to Kimi Raikkonen, also mm. driving for Ferrari. Um, and there is a lot of drama to it because – it came down to the final corner of the final lap. Massa had to win the race. Um, and I think Hamilton had to be in like fifth to win the, to win the championship. Um, and it kind of started the rain right at the end of the race. And there were oh, wow. cars out there on slicks or on the, the grooved slicks that they used to run. Um, and there were cars that were out there on like the intermediate weather tires. And, Massa won the race in Brazil, his home country. He's won the championship on home soil and, you know, the crowd's going crazy. And then Hamilton passes Timo Glock in the last corner going up the hill and gets into the position that he needs to be to win the championship by one point. Wow. And just the, the heartbreak that Massa, you could see it on his face and, you know, there's a lot of controversy around that entire season as far as um, you'll have to look into Singapore. And is that the in Singapore? That too. Yeah. Yep, yeah. the Crashgate. Um, and it's actually, I read an article the other day. They were talking how Bernie Ecclestone, the former chairman, he, he knew about it. He knew that it was intentional and they kind of covered up the whole thing to prevent us a scandal of sorts um, that might affect the image of formula one. And, and that's been in the, in the, it's been a topic online this past week. I've noticed someone, whoever yes. came in second in that, in that uh, season is trying that was to, Masa. yeah, he's trying to get right, right. Like you just said, he's trying to get back because I, I, he's saying that what they should have done, which is, you know, what would have been the protocol to have happened. I, I, is my understanding of it is that they could have um, nullified the points from that race because another major thing happened in that race where Massa had the fuel hose get stuck to his car and the, that forced him to retire from the race. Um, isn't and, it interesting that, that Hamilton has a, a championship that he uh, given to him by, by technical and, and, um, unusual ways and then also in what was it 2020 he had 2021 2021 it was take kind of taken away or at least kind of suspicious ending to that season on the last lap as well it's kind of poetic symmetry in a way yeah it is it is it's um you know he's both been a very lucky driver and he's been unlucky at times but that that comes when you have a career the way that hamilton has had sure yeah absolutely so then i guess let me ask you this. We're going to, um, who would you say your, your favorite driver that's not on the grid today? Uh, you know, a driver of historic past, who would you say is your, your number one 
I, I feel like I, I know who you're going to say, but I want to hear it from you first. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, there, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's definitely a few. Um, I think that because of the time that I first got into Formula One, um, I remember seeing that Russell Corsa uh, Ferrari going around the track with a screaming V10 and that red helmet in the cockpit of Michael Schumacher and just, yeah, yeah. he was, yeah. he knew how to find the limits of that car. And when he was on it, he was just unbeatable. Is that, that's the impression. I really, I really wish I had been into it back then because it seems like it's the equivalent of watching Jordan, Michael Jordan in his day, or just the best of all time doing it, you know, at the peak yeah, of the I, sport. And I mean, we're kind of seeing it, or we had seen it with Hamilton's run. I mean, it was a little bit different because, you know, everybody says how Schumacher had, you know, the easily the best car. But if you look back at those times, there's a lot of races where, you know, it didn't always go his way. And he wasn't always just right up the front and cruising away the victory the way that Hamilton had for eight years. Um you really have you know, to fight for it. Yeah, because I mean Williams with Montoya back in the day, he was just ridiculous. And then the same thing when Montoya was at McLaren. Um then also Raikkonen when he was at McLaren and obviously once Fernando came along, but like the early two thousands was a lot closer than it was between, I would say, 2014 and 2018 when things started to close up a little bit. It's it's so interesting to hear you say this because as someone who's newer into the sport, hearing Williams and McLaren at the front of the grid is just so, so <laughs> Haven't different. heard that in a while, have we? Yeah, no, it's... Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I, I'm pulling for Williams, but it just seems like they're uh, they're a couple, at least, you know, a couple years away from, from moving up yeah, the quarter a little I, bit. I, I don't, you know, the thing with Williams that gets me is that at the start of the Turbo Hybrid era 2014, I mean, they were arguably the second best team for the majority of the season. Um, I think they were up there with like Force India at the time, which is now Aston Martin used to be Racing Point. Um, huh. Right. So what and happened? Then, How does a team slide back so far so fast? Is it just um, technology? It's, it's tough. It's tough for a team like Williams because they are more of like a privately owned team. They're not owned by some big auto group like Mercedes or Ferrari or anybody like that. Um, they're very right. kind of. They have a different way of creating revenue, and they have a different type of budget compared to a Ferrari who has like a back in the day, you know, $300 million budget or you can just right, pay, right. pay, pay and never so, had an issue there. So when Williams, when it, when it goes bad, it can go bad quickly because you can't, it's harder to recover that, that lost revenue or whatever. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, they, you know, kind of like McLaren, you know, they have these these glory days that you look back on back in like the 80s uh, when they had just a really dominant car 
uh, towards like the, I think it was like the, I want to say, oh, I know McLaren had a really dominant car, 88, and the MP44. So I think it was like the early 90s when they really had a really quick car. That was um, their that was their peak, or at least you know their strong their last really that was, strong. That was kind of what people look back on as far as their last great hurrah. Um, so then, when did when did Red Bull enter the mix? Then when when did they kind of show up on the scene and and start becoming the force that they are now? Um, let me double check. Yeah, it's just curious because Red Bull seems, you know, such an outlier. You know, they're not a they're a beverage company, and they're an so, extreme sport company. But it's interesting. I'll I'll double check here in a second. Um, yeah. Because I I also want a little bit more clarification because you know I think there is the history of these teams goes back a long way and all different kind of iterations. Um, right. Um, like Toro Rosso, which became AlphaTauri. Um, that used to be a team called Minardi, which yes, is the I've one that Fernando name. Alonso started back in 2001. That's where Alonso started with, with Minardi. Um, he's pretty amazing. So I, he's pretty oh amazing. yeah. It's, it's amazing. He's, he's, you know, he's still performing the way that he is. Um, even all these years later, kind of just goes to show how driven he is about the sport. So um, do you think, do you think he he knew Aston Martin had a good car and that's why he jumped. Or do you think he just wanted, wanted a fresh start and he happened into a good car? Or do you think he knew they were on the verge of this, this big breakthrough this year? You know, like, is it, um, is it, when you're I'm, doing those I'm negotiations? Not quite sure, I'm not quite sure because I mean, sometimes her, uh, Alonso has a history of making questionable decisions as <laughs> far as team choices and just being very unlucky um like two so 2003 or 2004 he joins renault right i think it was 2004 i i again i could be wrong it's a long time ago now um so 2005 2006 he wins the championship with renault 2007 he moves to mclaren who just signs new rookie under the name of Lewis Hamilton. Hmm. Um, they have a titanic duel all season long, just going back and forth. Alonzo was playing mind games with him all season long. Um, I can't remember which race it was, but it was in qualifying. He pulls into the pits to get new tires or something like that. And he holds Hamilton up just enough so that Hamilton doesn't, have enough time to get all the way back around to start Oof. a flying lap. Wow. Um, wow. See, it's interesting yeah. just the inter the the intra team drama that can happen too. And so oh, yeah, yeah. that must have been a baby face Hamilton too. That must have been a really uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, very well, clean. Ba- I mean I mean baby face Hamilton lost that championship by a point that season again in Brazil. Um but he could have won it had he not crashed into the gravel trap when they were coming into the pits uh, in China. He was running on slick, or he, well, he was running on intermediates that were basically slicks at that point in time. He overshot the pit entry and went into the gravel trap and got stuck. And wow. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. It, yeah. it, that, that, that base that honestly basically cost him the championship right there. Wow. Um, 
but to get back to Red Bull, um, yep. so they started they started in 2005. Um, and they were a new team, or were they an iteration of an old team rebuilt, or was that just brand new? They were they're a bra- brand new team, brand new team. Um, wow. So they ju- you know they were just not really well known. They, like you said, they kind of came in more as like a drink supplier. Um, everybody thought that you know they're just a they're just an energy drink supplier. <laughs> um, what are they doing here in Formula One? And right, they right. definitely had a few shaky seasons. Um, 2005 to about 2009 was very shaky. Um, they had let's see, I remember David Coulthard was their big driver that they had signed. Um, and, and he kind of laid the groundworks in a sense. It's interesting because because they're they're also you know they do everything extreme. If you see extreme racing or boat racing or skydiving and stuff like that, oh yeah, so, they're everywhere. So F one's a everywhere. natural fit, but it took them a while to get it is. to get to where they are. Well, I mean, back back then, I mean, they again they were just the energy company, they didn't have the kind of marketing that they do now. I mean, I think that their success in formula one has really helped with that. Um, you know, Vettel winning four championships in a row between 2010 and 2013. Uh, that really helps. He was my um, pick for your favorite driver of the past. I had Sebastian he, Vettel written down on the, on the scorecard. If it wasn't Schumacher, um just because i i like his driving style he was just always aggressive i think that um vettel was definitely up there as well um he's he's only been gone eight months now so it's not like he's that far into i know but it feels it feels like it feels like a year i mean he's he's been he's been very quiet he's not really sticking his nose i haven't seen seen anything i mean he, he i think i saw something about him joking about the aston martin this year as yeah, far I, as I saw him, that. him wanting to take a drive in it um <laughs> it's got to be but, hard to sit at home and see these car, you know and to not want to oh jump yeah back in, yeah you know well especially considering like the year before that car that you had wasn't necessarily competitive and then you see alonso standing on the podium in the first race and basically what is your your old car right right that's true that's a good point yeah, because it wasn't. I mean, two years ago, that car wasn't competitive at all, and now, no, now look at yeah, that's interesting. So, um, so let me ask you this then: if you could pick one Grand Prix weekend to go to, not just you know for the race, not just for, but for the whole thing, the environment, the practice, the qualifying, the people, all of it, where would you go? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a loaded question, <laughs> I know. Well. It kind of depends on what you're looking for, because for me, you know, I, I'm I'm definitely Tafosi. Um so <laughs> I think going to Monza would be just an unreal experience. Um, sure. I mean, it's it's the mecca of speed. It's it's everything that you would want as a Ferrari fan. It's everybody's screaming in Italian, going nuts when the the Scarlet cars are doing well. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you've looked back at Leclerc's win in 2019 at Monza, but 
it was the scenes there were unbelievable and i remember watching it live and getting just chills and thinking if i'm to ever go to a formula one race overseas that's got to be the one that's the one that's the one for you that's and gotta I bet be the, the one the whole weekend's got to be just loaded with with good oh, yeah. vibes and energy yep. and all that yeah but no was that I the mean, last time so, for the, go ahead sorry there's no it's okay um there's so much history at monza as far as formula one goes um i mean they show it every year the old banking um it, there's just there's so much history there and it really is just the temple of speed as in formula one no what about the track um, itself it's it's built for speed it's not one of these uh slow corners it's got a lot of straights and a lot of uh you know that's what that's why you call it the temple for speed is it really made for a fast race so to speak it, it is the it's it holds the record for the fastest lap in formula one as far as average speed goes um, oh, wow. i believe that i believe that was hamilton in 2020 that set that wow um i had to i had to double check that but this is right off the top of my head um but yeah it's it it's basically their lowest downforce settings you see them running very little wing um it's basically it's... relying on your car's mechanical grip to get you around the corners and then as Let little arrow as possible to get you down the straights as fast as possible that's yeah that's the race to watch for sure then you know i mean i'd go to any any one of them but uh yeah i i oh, have no, to say absolutely agreed last week or two weeks ago now and Australia, Albert Park looks like a good time. Those Aussies look like they know yep. how to throw a party. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not sure how, uh, uh, I don't know how I would do in terms of surviving the weekend because it looks like they have, they go full tilt for four straight days and uh, looks like a good time down there. Yeah, the Aussies definitely know how to throw a party. And <laughs> having seen the some of the videos that my buddies have sent me from the v8 supercars weekend down at bathurst in australia which is the the v8 supercars is a big series in australia um and bathurst is like the crown jewel it's their version of monaco essentially um oh wow it's like the most it's the race that everybody wants to win um and you know there's always tales of the amount of beer that gets consumed for the race weekend and all the parties that go on. So yeah, I think it would be quite the entertaining weekend to say the least to have a uh, race weekend in Australia. Yeah. If you can, if you can get there. Yeah. That's yeah. So we talked about it a little bit before we recorded, but they're, they're going to be doing a new sprint uh, qualifying and sprint race format in Baku which is essentially isolating the sprint race and the Grand Prix into two separate things where they qualify for the Grand Prix on Friday. And then the sprint race has no bearing on your grid position for the Grand Prix. It's like its own freestanding thing. And why do you think they're doing that? Like why, why would make these changes? Is it just experimenting with something new or is there a reason for it? Do you think? Um, yeah, I think it's just to kind of try something new, maybe shake it, shake up the order a little bit more. Um, I don't know what that's really going to do for the top two slots. I think those are definitely going to be Red Bulls. Um, yeah, yeah. But 
Um, yeah, I think it's just to kind of shake it up. I think they did the same thing with the qualifying format that we have now. Uh, back, I can't remember. I think it was like early 2010s sometime. They they only ran it in Albert Park at Melbourne. Um, they just did it one race. You mean the Q3, didn't... Q1, Q2, Q3 format? That's um well that so that that's been in place since 2006 um but they were trying to do i can't remember exactly what the format was because they only used it once um but they they just tried to it it was the same format but there's just a couple extra little tweaks to it um and obviously it wasn't very successful because it only lasted one weekend um that's one but thing yeah, I give I think... them credit for, though, is changing it up and trying things. And, I mean, people don't like change. People don't like seeing things differently. But if you hit on something that works, then, you know, you keep with it. But you can always just scrub it if it doesn't work and, and people don't like it, you know. So it's no, interesting, absolutely agreed. the changing going on. So what do you um, – well, well, so what do you see happening in Baku? Is it another uh, – Another Red Bull one two, or um, I mean, I guess not another Red Bull one two. I don't think they've gone one two yet. But you think it's another runaway for Max at the front of the grid? So <laughs> Red Bull has gone. They did. I think they've got back to back one twos, except for in Melbourne. Um, oh, to start that. Yeah, you're right. I, I right. think I think they went back to back to start the season one two. Um, I forgot Perez won uh, in Jeddah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, is Baku is it I mean Mercedes had a pretty nice weekend in Melbourne but do you think that's more of a track they I mean they did well there last year as well and I mean I think we all remember how the rest of their (laughs) season went um bouncing right along they had they had a decent performance in in Albert Park last year as well um I think that they tend to do well on a track that's a little bit smoother and doesn't um, destroy and chew the tires as much. Um, I think that their design lends well to a track like Baku, but I just I can't see anybody but Red Bull taking this weekend by storm. I mean, no, it's a I, it's a race for silver and bronze, isn't it? It's uh... I I as much as I hate to say it, I think it might be. I mean, I'd like to see Aston give them a good run for their money. Um, so well, let's I talk think... about that then. Let's talk about the the three cars or the three teams looking for second place. Then I mean, you're a Ferrari guy, and yeah. they've had their ups and downs. And Aston Martin looks good, and Mercedes is kind of uh, in between there. But what do you what do you see out of those three teams in terms of uh, the rest of the way? With I mean, we can't can't really see that far down the road. But like Ferrari seems to be a little bit people a little bit flying under the radar at this point and and what do you what do you see out of those three like who who do you see pulling so aston seems to have the best this well second best car concept and i think that what we're going to see is a lot more convergence towards that rebel design um it just it seems like it's it has more room to elevate it and it has a higher ceiling um, what right. Ferrari's having happen right now, it seems to be almost like a crisis of like an identity crisis. <laughs> um, like they, they, and they're kind of puzzled in a way because like their design, it was great last year. It worked 
they they were f- very fast last year. They were very competitive against the Red Bull up until you know the midway point where everything just went south. Huh. Um, but I mean, they had a very competitive car last year, so there was no reason for them to think that they should change their design. They should just optimize it a little bit more and iron out those wrinkles and work on, like they said during the off season, we're just going to, we're working on the power plant, going to make it more reliable so we can run that higher power and we should be fine. Right. Right. And it's but we're, just, we're, we're seeing, seeing the same, kind of the, same yeah, the same issues and yeah. it's puzzling. It really is. And it feels like Aston Martin found that happy ground between Ferrari and Mercedes with the consistency, but the power. They seem to really be, you know, everything Mercedes doesn't have going for them and everything Ferrari doesn't have. They've, they've ironed out. It just seems like they found that, that middle ground between those two. And it's it's interesting. Interesting yeah. to see I, that going on. I, I, think, I think the interesting thing with Mercedes is going to, going to be if they change their concept at all. I think that there's a definite chance that they do. It sounds like um, they're gonna they're gonna show up with some new side pods pretty soon. I think they said. I, th- uh, I think that's what they were saying either Baku or Imola. I think was when they were expecting to Imola, have new yeah. side pods. Um, and I'm interested to see those. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna dive right into those and get some close up shots and see if I can see from an all black Mercedes, which doesn't lend well to seeing details on a car. <laughs> um it's very it's very tough. It's you know, it's very smart of them to make their car all black again because it kinda does mask some of those little details. Seems um, like a lot of the teams this year have a lot more black um in the design and I was reading that's just to get it's actually not black paint, it's just to not have it's paint. Bare, it's bu- bare it's bare carbon. Yeah. To get those grams. I mean every every gram of weight yep. matters, right? Yeah. It's 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 honestly it's kind of amazing um, to see the kind of weight reduction that they're trying to do, and as far as like what they're willing to do to get down to that weight. I mean, we see the the Alfa Romeo, which nobody really talks about much, but you know they're running almost all carbon, and if you look at the Mercedes, it's bare carbon except for one strip of black paint. Yeah, yeah, Haas is pretty, uh, pretty dark this year too. It's just, and you know, I'd like to get into those lower grid teams at some point and talk about. Oh, me too. You know, me those too. bottom tier to see who's going to make the jump next year, who next year's Aston Martin might be. Um, the, the mid, the midfield is honestly sometimes much more interesting than what's happening at the the tip of the spear. Definitely, definitely, because that's where the gains are being made, really, and that's where the, the exactly. changes can happen. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. And it's fun, too, because those guys are really driving for their seats and they're really driving for their future where, you know, the guys at the top of the grid kind of are a little bit more secure. In what yeah, exactly. Doing. So um, let me see here. What else do I have in my notes for, for the crew chiefs to talk about today? So we still have like 11 days till Baku. And it seems like forever. <laughs> it's been the longest, two, you know, week. It's been one week, and it's still like we're not. It's we're, terrible. You know, we still have the summer break later this year. I mean, the summer break is a month, and that's that's equally painful. And that's right at what the end of July or the end August, maybe. Yeah, I th- I think it's I think it's towards August. Um, I mean, thankfully we have a back to back coming up. I think it's Baku and 
Oh, I should know this. I just did a whole thing on on the schedule. But yeah, I mean, and it it just it would be nice to have more backs to backs in the schedule because it's just it's tough. It's tough to get through. I mean, being a football fan, you're used to having one week off, but three weeks is ridiculous. Well, I'm just glad that they don't do it the way that IndyCar does to start the season. I mean, IndyCar, you know, they're gaining popularity, but they have their first race in St. Petersburg, and then they wait a month for their next race. Jeez, really? It's like, yeah, awesome, we get the season going, and then, all right, we got to wait a month. So why do the drivers, I've I've heard this from Formula One drivers, that they are scared of IndyCar, or not scared, but like it's an intimidating dangerous place to drive compared to formula one is that true it's more um it's so i look or something. I, I i look at a lot of uh Rom- i follow roman Grosjean a lot in indycar because he's a formula one guy he was right. for a right. while um and i it was interesting to see his crossover into indycar because you got kind of like a real like differences between the IndyCar and Formula One car, as far as a driver's perspective, and yeah, yeah. he said he said that after my first day of testing, I was just I was beat because there's no power steering in an IndyCar, um, mm. no power steering. You have much less aero. There's not as much downforce. You don't have as much power, but you also don't have as much grip. Um, and they're driving on street courses that are very bumpy. So that wheel is going all over the place. Um, I mean, if you look at some of the onboards from St. Petersburg, I mean, it's, it's amazing how they keep control of those cars. And then as far as the ovals go, I mean, they're going in excess of 200 miles an hour. A lot of the times. And if if you look at Indy 500, Indy 500 qualifying last year, I think the top speed that uh, the pole sitter had was almost 240 miles an hour. So, That's crazy. And, you know, in my mind, I would think if you go from F1 to IndyCar, you just go over and dominate. But that's really not the case. It's really uh, a totally different game. Yeah, it's you know. they're, they're similar in some respects as both being open open wheel cars, open wheel formulas. Um, they look similar in some ways as far as, you know, they have front wing, they have rear wing and all that stuff. Um just the way that they drive is completely different and there's always going to be that comparison between IndyCar and Formula One but um, I think it's honestly pretty cool to see Grosjean's uh, his comparison between the two he's a direct comparison right like there's not yeah does anyone ever go from IndyCar to Formula One or is it kind of a step the other way you go after you're done in Formula One you take a step to IndyCar kind of um you know what I mean? Like, it's not a step down, but you wouldn't go the other way because um, there's such a wait list to, to try to get an F1 seat. And these teams already have invested so much in those young guys that IndyCar... It seems to me like IndyCar drivers are a little bit more mature, experienced veteran drivers. Is that is that true? Yeah, I mean, they, they've been doing it for a long time. I mean, Dixon's been in the game forever. I mean, it doesn't ever seem like he's going to retire. <laughs> um, but... I mean, I think the closest we saw to somebody coming from IndyCar into Formula One, um, I would say Colton Herta when he was when Andretti was making their bid to become a Formula One team, he was slated as possibly being that seat. Um, 
and then we have guys that went from Formula One to IndyCar. We had Juan Pablo Montoya, um, Alexander Rossi, Roman Grosjean. Those are just three. I know there's more, but those are just the three that I can think of right now. It's really, uh, it's really interesting because you look at the cars and you think they're similar, but there's so much difference that it's hard to make. Oh, no, I I I I know this is a Formula One podcast, and but I urge you to go and look at IndyCar and the way that those cars drive, and just, I mean, they're, they're beasts. No, that's that's it's, that's it, what I want. It's an yeah. animal to drive. That's uh, that's good stuff. I need that kind of homework for this because it, and it just adds another layer of my knowledge to to motorsport in general because i am you know i'm a rookie to this or or maybe a sophomore at this point but um yeah yeah i need that i need that kind of uh extra layer and and you know the more knowledge you have in anything the the more the more you'll be able to understand it you know so i I think indycar has a race coming up in long beach i think this upcoming weekend or the weekend after oh really Um, just up the road in long beach yeah long long beach is one of the it's Formula One actually used to race there, uh, like seventies, eighties, I think. Wow. Um, Long where, Beach Grand Prix. Where else has it, uh, Formula One had Grand Prix in the U.S.? I know they've done Austin, Miami, Indy, Vegas, but are there any other? Well, you said out here um, in Long Beach. Well, they they had Vegas back in the eighties. That was in a, I think it was in the Caesars parking lot. Um, <laughs> That was a, I think that was a one-off. Um, they had Watkins Glen in the seventies. Um, I love Watkins Glen. I've had the pleasure of driving on that track, and it's honestly one of my favorite tracks to drive. What did you drive? Uh, what did you? I drove my own car. Oh, cool! Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, they have a charity event at the start of every year. Do um, they let you, you rip it, or, car. or are you under a um, safety car the whole time? You're, you know? you're under a safety car, but you know you're still going like eighty something miles an hour on the straights, and then everybody kind of backs it up before a corner, and they just send it on the way through. Oh, that's um, pretty good. So yeah, it's 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 a good time. I'd love to. Uh, I'd, I'd, that's one thing I'd love to do is just get out and and get to some of these tracks and rip it around, but probably have to repair my car first before I can do that. So <laughs> you know, but um. Yeah, I think I think this is a good spot, Connor, to, to wrap it up for the first time here. Um, just a little introduction and, and get your feet wet with us and get your feet wet. Yeah, um, I'm glad I can dip my us. toes in. No, I appreciate it. And I appreciate So, you know, you're a big reason why I'm doing this because you've helped me. You've sent me the YouTube videos. You send me the, um, you know, the articles and stuff like that. And you really piqued my interest in this. So I really appreciate that and i'm glad that you're willing to come on here um whenever you can and talk about this stuff so in the future we'll have more direct always happy to talk yeah and and we'll have more direct uh you know topics in the future about certain grand prix and we'll really dive in there and and get into them so it's uh i really appreciate it i think i think this could easily become more regular occurrence whenever you can whenever you can i'd absolutely be up for it so uh I guess with that, I think I'm supposed to go eat some dinner now. I, I smell tacos being made. So. <laughs> well, I, you know, I gotta get some sleep. I gotta go to work in six hours. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> don't let me keep you from that. I mean, you're listening to uh, Formula One during during theology class. I can't imagine that. Uh, <laughs> you know, to I don't want to keep you from your job too. So. So there, there we have it. Our first interview on the F1 Funcast with uh, the crew chief Connor. We got a little abruptly 
cut off at the end there. That was my fault with some editing and not doing a proper, proper goodbye. I don't know how to say goodbye. But um, again, if you'd like to come on here and talk Formula One with us, let me know. We'd love to to have you on there. I'm hoping to have the crew chief back on as often as possible. He's really helped drop some knowledge on me, and hopefully some of you out there listening learned a little bit. And uh, once again, this is the F1 Funcast at Gmail, Instagram, Twitter, and looking forward to hearing from you out there with your thoughts and ideas and, and questions, comments about the podcast so far and going forward. And if you have any topics for discussion or um, any ideas for for us to take up here on the podcast, I'd love to hear them and I'd uh, love to hear from you. We still have a long way to go to Azerbaijan, so keep those emails and, and comments coming. And thank you so much for listening. I'd like to thank my cousin Connor, the crew chief, once again for coming on here. It was a, it was all my pleasure and really happy to uh, to have gained some of his insight and his knowledge today and look forward to more of that in the future. And I'm looking forward to talking to you all about the Baku Grand Prix and the 2023 season. And for now, until we talk to you next time, I am out of here.